We're in the, what, fifth Sunday of Lent now, right? Lent. Try to say that correctly. Lent. Um, we've been trying to practice self-discipline. We've been trying to also draw closer to the Lord and doing that by looking at trying to examine what's in our hearts and allowing Him to examine our hearts as well. We're anticipating next Sunday, Palm Sunday, Passion Sunday, and then the Sunday after that would be Easter. And so it's, it's quite a time of year because it keeps Jesus right at the center, doesn't it? And with everything that's going on in this world, it just seems like there's something in the air, doesn't it? Something's in the air. And um, I've noticed in my conversations with people, as I go about doing things, and especially maybe at, at school, whatever, wherever it may be, I've noticed that a lot of people are apprehensive. Have you noticed that? Um, when we think of apprehension, we're, we're realizing that people are, what it is, is it's a feeling of anxiety or depression about something wrong that may or may not happen. There's a lot of people who are apprehensive about what our future holds, and it usually, it, it doesn't matter if it's somebody who doesn't go to church, you can have this conversation. You, I would almost say you could walk up to somebody, maybe at Ingalls, and just be making small talk, and somebody's going to make mention of how the world is changing. Something is happening. And we can't quite put our finger on it. The last time I experienced something like this in my life was during the first Cold War when I was so afraid of... Uh, the Soviet Union shooting a nuclear warhead at us. I don't know if those that are younger than us would have a hard time. I guess some younger people it would be terrorism would have been the big fear. But these days, it's almost as if we're back into that fearfulness that we had maybe in the 70s and 80s. And so it's an interesting time because people understand something's in the air. In fact, when I was talking with somebody about leadership. I'm sorry, my tooth is busted, so I'm trying to talk slower. But um, I was talking to somebody about leadership, and it was an interesting conversation because the problem with being a leader today is that people are apprehensive, and there is something in the air, and the world is changing. And I'm not going to say it's changing for the better, uh, it doesn't seem to be changing for the better at all. But in leadership, what happens is that you, you're inevitably going to come into a place or a situation where your moral compass is going to be challenged. And what I mean is, and it's, it's inevitable that you're going to be put into a position where you have to choose to make God happy or please people. Because there is a lot of apprehension going on, isn't there? And so I was reminding somebody, that's why you don't aspire, don't try to just go be a leader just because you want to be a leader because much is expected of you. And so what I find is, is that most people like us, especially if they're Christians, you know, we're saying, for instance, it might be that Jesus is getting ready to come back. 
which would be the logical answer to those of us who believe in Christ. What we would say is, is where your moral compass is, which is the whole point of this Lent, if it needs to be adjusted, then we need to start adjusting that moral compass now. Because if we have a reason to be apprehensive, then it's because we need to be getting ourselves in order. And I think that that's what we're going to find today. I think what we find when we talk with people, whether they're believers or not, most of the time if we just narrow it down to a believer, we find that people actually harbor things in their hearts, even though they believe in Jesus Christ, right? I don't know if you've picked up on this, but people actually harbor certain things in their hearts. And, And really, I was telling somebody, you know how I like to work with personalities, I was telling someone, I can hear what people really desire in their heart by the way they use certain phrases or by some terminology that they use when they're talking with me. I don't know if that sounds crazy, but I can. And, I, and what they're doing without knowing that they're doing it is they're revealing who they actually are. And so if that wasn't enough, what happens is if you watch somebody long enough, right, you see what they really are passionate about in their heart by what they do. It's an interesting thing because that would mean if we look at the American church as a whole, maybe the American church isn't so passionate about Jesus Christ. Maybe the American church is more passionate about them, their own individual selves. And if we're apprehensive, that might need to be adjusted. So in our passage that I have this morning, it's in John chapter 12, I'm calling this something in the air. Because in John chapter 12, you're going to see that there's um, use of smells, and it's, it should help us to understand some things. And what I want you to know is that John chapter 12 comes right after um, John chapter 11. You're probably saying, well, that was a real brilliant thing, right? Um, wow, I came to church to figure that one out, um, and then 10 before that. Um, but um, right after chapter 9 um, and chapter 11 in particular, what we find is that, well, Jesus healed a blind man, and it's in the vicinity where this chapter 12 is going to take place, and because he heals a blind man, he gets into a discussion with the Pharisees, and they decide they want to kill him. And it's interesting because Wednesday night, we had a bunch of teens here, and they were sitting really on this side, and it was interesting because I started to talk about Lazarus a little bit, because in chapter 11, we know that Jesus, after he gets away from them trying to kill him in this vicinity of Bethany, Jesus then um, is finds out that Lazarus is sick and they want him to come and heal him. He doesn't do it. Then he decides he's going to go and wake him up because he knows Lazarus has died. And so clearly the disciples are like, are you crazy, Jesus? They just tried to stone you. Are you going to go back there for real? And he's like, look, we're going to go while we have daytime. We're going to walk in the light, not not when darkness is coming. And so they go back. And this is, the, this is what's unbelievable. And the kids were listening. And I was talking about how Jesus 
actually, this, this Lazarus is dead for four days, right, in the tomb. And, I mean, the people are sobbing everywhere. Jesus shows up, and he's like, I'm the resurrection. Go ahead and um, roll the, I'm, I'm paraphrasing quickly here. Go ahead and roll the stone back, and he calls Lazarus out, and Lazarus walks out in his grave clothes. And I could see this girl in the back, and she was just going like this. And I said, and you know what the response was from the Jews? They wanted to kill Jesus. And when I said that, that girl was like. And then I said, and guess what? Because Lazarus was raised back to life, they wanted to kill Lazarus too. And then that girl turned and looked at her friend. Because she couldn't believe it, right? Remember the apprehension and something's in the air. That's the look that we should all have about those who are ignoring such a great salvation that Jesus has gotten us, right? So let's read this passage. And I want to read verses 1 to 8. And we're going to see what, we, what there is to say about this something being in the air. Verse 1. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany, where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Here a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of the disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. I'm going to stop right there. So it's an amazing event because this is actually, this is actually the first part of the end, I guess, if that makes sense, of Jesus' public ministry. Because after the triumphal entry, which is after this, he's going to go into Jerusalem and he's not going to come back out because they're going to kill him, right? So they're going to kill him. And, they, and so it's all going to come to pass what was said. First thing I want you to see in this passage is something is in the air because Jesus demonstrated power over life and death. So something's in the air, right? And obviously I'm picking up on some of the smells. I don't know about you all, but I know that when I was a kid, my mom used to make liver and onions. And I would be outside shooting baskets. I would come in the house, and I mean, I, I would just get that door opened up that much. And if, if you've not ever smelt this, I mean, it would, oh my goodness. If those of you who like it, I'm sorry. But that is awful. And I'm telling you, I'd rather be beaten with a, 
belt or my, I better stop. I'd just rather be beaten than to eat that. But my mom would have that, and I would just be like, oh, my goodness, if I can just hold my breath, I can get up the stairs and shut my door. They know I'm not eating tonight. There's no way I can do this. And so I can still remember that smell. I don't know. Maybe you have some smells that you remember, but it was such a smell that I can't forget it. Um, And if I smell just a whiff of it, it takes me right back to how bad I can't stand to breathe in that liver because I've had to eat it before and it was just awful. And so when I look at this party that was going on for Jesus, right, they, they wanted to honor him. And so everybody had seen that Jesus demonstrated power over life and death. They saw it with their own eyes. They saw this happen. So they have a party to honor him, which is exactly what I think we would all do. That would be rather amazing. We would say, let's, let's have a dinner. Let's, let's just be around Jesus. And so when you look at what John is doing here, you know he's got a great picture of what's taking place because in this picture, you have Jesus sitting at the head of the table and you have Lazarus, the evidence of the one who was literally dead. And by the way, you know most of those people When they saw Lazarus sitting there, they could remember the smell of that decomposing body. They were there when he walked out of the tomb. I mean, I don't know if you've ever thought about that, but I'm sure they smelled something. Have you ever smelled something dead and you don't have to be right on it? You could smell that decomposing flesh. And so Jesus is basically Come out of the tomb. I mean, I can imagine when it was rolled out, the, the stones rolled away. I mean, there probably was a whiff came through the air, wasn't there? So what they're doing, I know this is terrible for me to think like this, but they had to be associating death with Lazarus because last time they saw him, he was really ripe, right? But then you know what Mary does? She opens the perfume. Now I, don't, now, I don't think this is why she did it, right? But certainly, people's idea of that moment of knowing Lazarus was dead and thinking, every time I look at Lazarus, that man was dead. You know, that's what I would be doing. Uh, that man was dead. He's alive. That man, I mean, I'm just weird that way. But then, that perfume goes through the air, and then now, hopefully, maybe that's changing the way people look. There's something sweet in the air, and it might make them think that if Jesus has power over life and death, life is sweet, isn't it, when Jesus restores it? And that's what happened. When you think like that, you start recognizing these smells. I was talking with somebody this morning who said, someone asked them, How do you know that the Bible is for real? How do you know a man didn't write it? And this lady was telling him, and she she says, I didn't really know what to say. And I said, well, I'll tell you what. If you look at Scripture, especially in the New Testament, you know these are eyewitness accounts. Because you pick up on things like that they saw Jesus with their eyes. These are eyewitness accounts, right? They saw Jesus. And then they heard Jesus, right? They ate, they touched Jesus. 
And here's the crazy thing. They even have these smells in Scripture, right? In fact, I had somebody who was a victim of a terrible crime tell me that my deodorant reminded them of the person that attacked them. They wouldn't have been able to make that up, right? They understood. Nobody thinks that way. My deodorant actually triggered the smell that they smelled. So when you start seeing things like this, you know somebody actually knows what they're talking about. And so Jesus, with power over life and death, now we know, just like the people in the house, we have to decide something. What do we do with this knowledge? That man there has power over life and death. That might mean, if we add this up, that he is God in the flesh. Because only God has power over life and death. And while this is going on, remember what I said? They're all apprehensive too because guess what? The Jews won't not only want to kill Jesus, but they want to kill the evidence that he has power over life and death. They want to kill Lazarus too. So there's a lot of apprehension going on inside that house and people have to decide, what are we going to do? If he really has power over life and death, then we must follow him. But if he doesn't, then we must save our skins and get out of this place so that we aren't associated with him. That's really the option. Kind of about that leadership, right? Your decisions, what you say and do, they demonstrate whether you are with Jesus or you are not. Let's look at the next thing I want you to see. Something is in the air because hearts will become clear to others. I should said hearts become clear to others, actually. Hearts become clear to others. So what we see in this story now, knowing that everybody's aware that the Jews want to kill Jesus, it's all around town. In fact, in chapter 11, verse 55, they've told everybody, because they're going to Passover, they said, look, if you see Jesus Christ, you need to let us know. We're going to arrest him. We're going to take him off the street. We're going to deal with him. Let us know. You, that's an order. Because you go all the way back to chapter 9, they were actually going to excommunicate the guy who was healed of his blindness. And so they knew they had to do this. So there's apprehension in the air. There's something in the air. Something's coming. And so what we see in this story then is that Mary and Judas become a nice little contrast for us. Because in this story, you see that Mary, who's very appreciative of the fact that Jesus raised her brother back to life, she has a great value for who Jesus is. She takes her most expensive perfume, right? She dumped it on his feet. Then she uses her hair to wipe his feet off. And you can imagine, it wasn't just a little bit of that perfume, right? Because it, it went through the whole house. That It just permeated through the air. You know, just you could smell the sweetness of that perfume. And so she's emptying that bottle out that apparently was worth 300 denarii. You know, they could have sold it. They could have done all of these things, as Judas was pointing out. And here she is. She, once she pours it on his feet, she just takes her own hair and just starts wiping her feet, his feet off because she's humbling herself before him, 
because she saw that he has power over life and death with her own eyes, and she had already had faith in him, so she's taking this moment with Jesus, and she's valuing him above everything else. It's a great picture of what somebody does in response to the grace that they are given. They humble themselves before the Lord the right way because after all, he is the son of God, right? But then you have the contrast, remember? Judas, one of the 12, one of the ones who actually was able to go out and perform miracles and do wonders in the name of Jesus, actually shared with people the good news. Remember that? Judas. And it's interesting because Judas, these, these people's hearts are starting to become clear to others because Judas apparently, from what we get from this text, is that Judas is actually saying, oh, look at that. What a waste. I can't believe Jesus is allowing her to waste that perfume on his feet. This could have been used to take care of the poor. You ever notice people are so high and mighty when it comes to taking care of the poor? They pull it like a trump card, don't they? When they want to hide something. But John's cluing us in because he knows we're reading this. You know what he says? He said, you know something? He could have cared less about the poor. He didn't really care. You know what he wanted? He, want, he was the keeper of the money bag, right? He kept all the money that was given to the ministry of Jesus Christ. And what he would do is he would take from it. And why wouldn't he? And I thought about it. Why wouldn't he? Who would know? Because if they didn't have anything, you know what Jesus would do? He'd just multiply the fish and the bread. You'd never know that they were going without money, would you? Because Jesus would provide for their needs just by speaking it into existence. But he used to help himself. You know what he valued? He valued money. He harbored it in his heart. In fact, he, he would hide it. And all the time he was out pretending, I'm going to say it, pretending or hypocrite. The word hypocrite means actor in Greek. He's acting as if he's someone who is so into Jesus Christ. He's one of the 12, but he's harboring this, this desire for money in his heart, this desire for his own personal gain. And all the while, something is in the air and he knows it because what's going to happen when Jesus goes to the cross we're going to all have an opportunity with this new covenant, aren't we? God's getting ready to do something monumental in human history. This is why we used to say um, 33 AD, the year of our Lord, instead of common era like we say now. Because when Jesus was born, history started all over because of the new covenant, right? So God is doing something amazing Something's in the air, but he's worried about getting some money for himself. You know what's going to happen after this? He is going to go to the Last Supper. He's going to eat with the disciples, possibly be even one of the ones when Jesus says, I'm going to be betrayed. And he's going to say, oh, not me. Not me, Lord. No, sir. Mm -mm. 
And, and all of the disciples are going to be fooled, right? They're all going to be fooled. And then Jesus is going to look at them and say, what you're going to do, do quickly. And Satan's going to enter him. And why? Because he wasn't sold out to Jesus Christ, was he? He wanted to hang on to that part in him that he loved so much. He loved that part that was inside of him so much that he didn't love Jesus enough. In fact, he was ready to throw Jesus out to the wolves, figuratively, right? But actually did. Isn't that just like people? When they really want nothing to do with Jesus anymore, they act like they take some sort of high moral ground and then they just throw away their entire relationship with Jesus and his people? Isn't that what happens? And they do it in the name of morality when all the while there's something being harbored inside of them that they've never surrendered to Jesus Christ. You see, if you're taking part in Lent right now, this is something that each one of us has to really wrestle with because if there's something in the air, like what most people are saying there is, then that means if we have something inside of our hearts, we need to be taking care of that. Now, let me tell you something. You really can't take care of it. But what you can do is you can make effort to take care of it and acknowledge it and confess it to the Lord. He will take care of it. It isn't what Judas does, is it? Forget you, Jesus. Sorry, man. You know what? I'm going to get that 30 pieces of silver since you jipped me out of this one by letting her pour that on your feet, your stinky feet. Something's in the air. Let me tell you something. What's in your heart will become clear to others. It just will. Look at the last thing I want you to see. Something is in the air because the opportunity to know Jesus is fleeting. <laughs> well, I just said, you know what's happening here? They're under Old Testament rules, right? Or the Old Testament law until Jesus is raised back to life, hits that cross and is raised back to life, right? So they're operating under the Old Covenant. God is transitioning to the New Covenant. He is making the New Covenant available to everyone and enabling everyone to really become a child of God. So something's in the air. And so basically what is happening in this story is that when, when uh, Mary puts that perfume on Jesus' feet and then Judas calls him out, makes, tries to make everybody look foolish for mismanaging the money that could have been had for the poor, Jesus says, leave her alone. Because everybody knows that the Jews are out to get me and finally the Romans are going to finish me off on the cross. Everybody knows it. This is nothing that people weren't told that it was going to happen. It's just that many of you did not listen. Many of you just ignored this and just went about your lives. But here we are. I'm, in the, I'm very near to my death and you need to leave her alone because you know what she's done? She's anointed my body for its burial. This is what she's done. She may not have known what she's done, but 
I like what the NIV says, it was intended 